You're listening to the Geek Saga Podcast. This episode features audio from a discussion panel that was recorded at DragonCon 2023. Welcome to the Please Adapt This panel and to DragonCon. This is my first panel of the weekend, but I know a lot of other people have done a lot of other things so far. So my name's Tara. I'm going to be your moderator. You can find me across the web at a Geek Saga. I ran Ice and FireCon for 10 years, a Game of Thrones Song of Ice and Fire convention. And I also do blogging and really more like podcasting these days. I have a genre lit podcast called Sagas and Sass. And then uh, my main podcast, the Geek Saga podcast, which is very spotty, but that's where you'll be able to find panel recordings if I ever decide to get off my butt and put them up. <laughs> so let's start at the end. I'll have you guys all introduce yourselves and then I'll kind of ask a couple questions to get the panel rolling. But if anybody in the audience has something you want to say or ask, um, we just ask that you use the mics if you are able to stand and get to them because um, it's just a lot easier for everybody in the room to hear you. Hello, I'm Jane Paquette. Uh, I write cheesy vampire romance, uh, urban fantasy, love triangles, werewolves, vampire which is happy endings. <laughs> um, I'm Andrea Stewart. I write fantasy and science fiction. I'm best known for my epic fantasy series, The Drowning Empire, which starts with The Bone Shard Daughter. Yes, it is complete. I know people ask about that. And I have another <laughs> series forthcoming called The Gods. If you like uh, cute little animal companions and neat magic systems, that's, that's that. My name's Tao Wong. I am a little chaos uh, gremlin in a suit, as you can tell. Um, I write um, lit RPG and fantasy, um, Chinese xianxia and urban fantasy stuff up with lots of food and lit RPG as well. I'm Milton Davis. I'm author slash publisher of company MV Media that specializes in science fiction and fantasy based on African diaspora culture and tradi traditions. I write sword and soul, cyberpunk, diesel funk, and spy funk. Those are some genres I haven't really heard of, mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm just very interested. Yeah, we just make up stuff. <laughs> make up stuff and write books. And I actually read Chuck Wendig's new uh, writing book. It's called Gentle Writing Advice, I believe, and he actually has a whole bit in it about the kind of myth of genre. Michael Crichton was an example he gave. He writes sci-fi, but you can also say he writes horror. And then you have like Stephen King. He's a horror writer, but obviously he's written some fantasy stuff as well. So well, I, I feel like genre is just basically what the industry has created in order to be able to market them. Yes, exactly. That's what it comes down to. They can put yep. things in categories and it makes it easier for them to sell, which is difficult for authors who don't write anything things specifically mm -hmm. because they can't fit it into a category that they can market. Well, speaking of genres, though, <laughs> and this being high fantasy, today we're talking about book series, or I guess even singular novels, that you would like to see adapted. And I think start on the end and, and go down the row and give me the, if you can narrow it down to one, like the top series or book you would want to see adapted ASAP. This is like picking a favorite kid. <laughs> <laughs> but you know you have one. For me, it's obvious. It's uh, um, the Amaro series by Charles Saunders. If you have not heard of Amaro or Charles Saunders, um, he was the first person to write a black sword and sorcery character back in the late 70s named Amaro. And um, he um, has a series of books. Unfortunately, he was wasn't able to complete the series. Um, he passed away a couple of years ago. I had the honor and privilege of working with him um, when I first started my writing career, and he was very helpful in um, helping me develop my characters and stuff. 
if you are really into sword and sorcery, you know who he is. And he's one of the best sword and sorcery writers out there. But I also do know as well as that there is an effort to make that happen. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed and hoping that it will materialize. I'm gonna say mine real quick. Assuming I have to stick to high fantasy, I will probably say that I wanna see um, the Final Strife series by Sarah El Arifi. There's two books out right now and she published them within a year of each other, or a little bit more than a year. So I have hopes that the third one will also be forthcoming very soon. But it's just a very diverse story. I honestly like, I don't want to talk too much about it because if you haven't read it, I would like people to be as surprised as I was when I picked up a copy at Comic-Con. Like they just had it. They were giving the free copies away. And those are usually toss up books when you can just walk by the random house table and pick up a free book. But this is like probably one of my top five favorite series of the past few years. So, so I actually like blurbed that first book. Really? And, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> and I, yeah, I, I think it would make an amazing television show or movie. It's so cool. Like it's got like these absolute disaster characters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And they're just super, super fun to watch and follow. I guess it's my turn. I would recommend the memoirs of Lady Trent. The first book is called The Natural History of Dragons. Uh, it's by Marie Brennan. And I don't remember her name, but the Lady Tyrell, not, you know, the old lady. Think about her uh, writing a memoir about her adventures in Victorian times, basically finding dragons uh, and hunting down dragons and writing the history of dragons uh, during that period. That's what it is about. It's so well written and so interesting and the voice and just the character is fascinating. And there's a lot of discussion about, you know, social mores because it's, you know, she's female and trying to get around that. So that's my pick for that. I always love a good dragon story that isn't Temeraire. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say I love Temeraire too, though. Oh, I, 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 I do not have love for Temeraire, but that's a long, that's a long different story. <laughs> I don't hate it, but... Can you laugh to the past? I don't like it either. It's not everybody's cup of tea. So uh, your top series. Too. Oh, okay. So I know like Tao will agree with me, but it's Greenbone Saga by Fonda Lee. Like, mm. Oh my god, like, because if you ever see me online, every so often I'll like just scream about how it needs to be a television series because it's got everything. So it's, it's set in the modern day, but it is an alternate second world, and people have powers by using jade. And they can, like, they fight, they have these really cool fighting sequences, and there are these clans that are always jostling for power, but there's also like cool cars and like airplanes, anyways. <laughs> It's got amazing action. It's got like Game of Thrones kind of political maneuvering. It's super sexy. Like, why is this not an HBO show? Peacock did pick it up to produce at one point and then they dropped it. I was like, that happens way more, it's, like uh, so often. I also, know, I know, but I was so looking forward to it. I just have to say, I for half a second, I heard you say clams fighting for power. <laughs> and I was like, no, there better be, be in, like more to this sentence. And then I realized like it had gone in one year as clams and it went out the other as clans and I understood. So. It's like a multi-generational family drama too. So it's... It's, it's kind of like The Godfather. Yeah, it's yeah. incredible. It's, 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 yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, so, like Succession. A little bit, yeah, yeah, in some ways. I haven't seen Secession, I can't oh, say that. Oh, it's extremely well written. I, I, I've heard that, yeah. I just don't have I just started it. <laughs> to it. 
But yeah, so that's enough of me blabbing on about Greenbone Saga. But if you haven't read it, you have to. So good. I think so now. It's Annette Marie, the Guild Codex. Those are awesome. I don't know if anybody's heard of them, but they're wonderful. And I think it would make a great uh, TV show. Three Mages and a Margarita. There it is. Uh, <laughs> wait, it's called okay. what again? <laughs> Three Mages and a Margarita. Okay, okay. Okay, that's a good first. Good, you know, two, two demons in a daiquiri. It's a bartender is the main character, mm -hmm. and she's the only human hanging out with all of these supernatural characters, and it's like, oh. how does she adapt to that? Hearing that title also makes me think of Legends and Lattes, which, yeah. man, I mean, it's such a short little book, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It would definitely be a movie type situation, but I would love a one-off. And I know it's very, it's very much like D&D &D in a lot of ways, but just it's such a cute story. It's, and I think like you could, somebody could produce that and it could be a totally like, it would be a totally family friendly, whether it was live, act, I would prefer to see it live action because I would, I would love to see those characters like, I would love to see people as those characters. It would be hard, though. Yeah. I, I, body I, paint, right? Yeah, you could, I guess. Yeah, you've got the shot like, rat. Really big. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's the rat. Yeah. 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 Get those little rat. Well, yeah, I don't think anybody will be, would be, uh... <laughs> like the, the, the old be productions of, like, the Narnia. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> CGI, but better than cats. Yes. Oh. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Every time I feel bad about myself, I go put that on and punish myself. <laughs> I managed to make my way through maybe one song, and then I'm just like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I no longer hate myself that bad. <laughs> I had no idea you were a masochist. <laughs> so this is a question where not everybody might have an answer for it, but what do you guys think is the biggest thing that stands in the way of certain book series that you would love to see on screen actually getting adapted. I mean, with, with like the super obvious, super obvious money thing aside, <laughs> okay. like, what do you think would be a big thing that would stand in the way of whether it's the series you just mentioned or just any book series that has a big, you know, breadth, right? There's always something that is going to kind of give producers pause. And if you can think of what those things would be other than money, how would you, uh, how would you tell them they could overcome it, if you can think of that? Kind of going off what you just said for Legends of Lattes, I think the problem is that you have characters that are hard to create. I mean, you could muppet it or lots of makeup, right? Or you can CGI it where you uncanny valley it, where people are like, oh, no, that's just wrong. <laughs> um, so I don't know what the solution is, but I think that's a definite problem. <laughs> I was going to say, um, it reminds me of what Straczynski had problems with uh, when he was writing Babylon 5 with a long series, you, and you don't really know how many seasons you're going to get, is losing actors um, mm -hmm. throughout the series. He's talked about how he's had to write trapdoors for all his characters so that if he loses the actor, you know, halfway through a season or, you know, at the end of a season, he can just drop them off and find someone else for it. And if you actually see the original Babylon 5, you see that happen a few times. So I think that's one of the biggest things. I mean, money is obviously the issue yeah. with that because you need to lock people down for that particular period of time especially for long series mm -hmm. if it's like you know six or seven seasons or something it's really hard to lock someone down for that amount of time unless you're disney <laughs> <laughs> yeah seriously i mean Disney calls and everybody goes back. <laughs> My broad answer would be like late stage capitalism. <laughs> I mean, what what are these companies going to want to do? They're going to want to make 
shows and movies on properties that everybody already knows about, mm-hmm. that they're pretty much guaranteed they're going to get viewers on. I mean, obviously we're seeing that right now. We see another Game of Thrones series. We're seeing like they're developing another one. There's Harry Potter they're making into a television show. Mm-hmm. And Lord of the Rings, yeah, they're going back to that as well. So Keep doing it until you get it wrong. <laughs> I, I just feel like if companies were more willing to take risks, then we would get some of these other properties made. Unfortunately, I feel like it's not in their best interests in a capitalistic sense, so they're probably just going to keep doing what they're doing. They already made the big bunny once. Again and again and again. I have a number of friends who are in various stages of doing stuff like that. And I know some of them who have had IPs pitched and they've been picked up and it's been eight years and they still haven't seen anything. When, from what I can gather, talking to some of these people, and I've got stuff that's in the early stages of all this. And it's kind of like when Hollywood is looking at your property, they're looking at your property as just the foundation. They really have no intentions of adapting the way adapting it the way that you see it anyway, because their bottom line is when they look at it, they say, how can we make this appeal to the broadest audience possible? Yeah. And that's why the changes come in, and that's why everything, and plus you have people who just from um, egos or whatever just want to put their stamp on it. And so that gives you another <laughs> ride. I've had so many friends that had a, had a thing getting, it was almost there. Then all the executives they were working with got fired and the new executives came in and they say, okay, we're going to do this a different way. We're not going to do it that way. I remember when um, George R. R. Martin first got Game of Thrones and he said the reason that he wrote Game of Thrones was because he did a lot of stuff for television and for a while he wasn't getting stuff picked up. So he said, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to write something that's going to be so big and outrageous that television wouldn't touch it. Maybe they shouldn't Basically what he said. And when I, read, when I started reading the series, I told my wife, even before it got picked up, I said, you know, because he used to write for the old show Beauty and the Beast, so he had mm-hmm. done some, you know, television stuff. It's my childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and so he had been out there, and I was like, and I was reading these stories, I said, you know, these books are really structured, like somebody would write it. I said, each book could be a season. And I told her, I said, but if anybody did it, it would have to be HBO, because these books are like out there. And yep. so when I found out HBO, I just started laughing. I said, baby, remember when I told you <laughs> years ago that this was going, this would go down like that? And I saw it like that. So I think that's really what it is when we look at these series that we love and we enjoy. The first thing we got to look at is, is, okay, I love it and it's got a following, but is this something that somebody could adapt in a way where a broad audience would do it? And I say that then, right, then you go right on the other end, which was something a friend of mine told, because I was trying to figure out all these ways about how I need to get my stuff into Hollywood and, and what needed to happen and what my book needed to be. And he said, really, Milk, I've been on all these pitches. And you just really got to find somebody that likes it. And that person has to be high up in the food chain. Because most of what you run into when you're pitching Hollywood is some uh, producer who just came off a fresh show, got a little cred behind them. So now they're looking for that that one project that's going to make them. And they're usually low on the totem pole. And so they'll get in contact with you. I had this process happen to me. They'll get in contact with you and say, hey, I worked on this show and I got these creds and I really like your stuff and I want to take it and I want to pitch it. And you say, yeah, so you sign this contract with them. They give you, you know, they give you your... um, they give you a little payment up front saying you give them like a two year thing saying you've got my you've got my IP for two years. If you can't develop it in two years, it comes back to me and I can sell it to somebody else. And so they get out there and then they just start hustling. Then they got to convince this person and then they got to convince that person. And then somewhere along the line, they, they convince that second level person and then they quit the show and they leave somewhere else. So now the second level person's got your stuff and they're like, you know, either I like it, but I want to do it, but I'm going to do it different. Or they're like, who the hell gave this to me? <laughs> Where did this come from? And that kind of stuff. So the process is just, 
the process is soul killing <laughs> in so many different yeah. ways and stuff, you know. But in the end, again, it's like either it has to be something that they feel they can they can build off and make it appeal to a large group of people, or you just have to run into an executive that's high enough on the food chain to where they can say, we're going to do this. Just like Wheel of Time got made because the guy at old Amazon said, we're going to do this and I got the money to do it. So it's going to happen. I think that's the biggest obstacle. And I'm sorry if I bored you guys with these details, but I'm just <laughs> stinging from the reality of the process. You know, when I see stuff like that now, I really start kind of evaluating it from that standpoint. You know, is this something that we can that we can do that way? So I don't think that was a boring explanation at all, because I know some about how things being picked up in Hollywood or not works, but not everybody does. I will say this is kind of touching on your point and also the point you made uh one show that did get made is shadow and bone based yep. on the grishaverse and i love the grishaverse books and the show is very different from the books but in some of the best ways possible and it speaks to actually the author has has done some interviews in the book where she said listen i wrote especially the first trilogy i wrote these books in like the early 2010s like if i could go back and redo a lot of this stuff i absolutely would um and the show has allowed her to do that and she's been super super involved and i think that's why the show uh at least at least for me and and for the few friends i have who i've, I've like podcasted about it with was just like a really positive like oh wow this is like fun to watch and like the acting is great and the character changes and story changes they made for the most part are like really awesome and make sense and i also just wanted to go back a little bit back to your point that you made with the trap doors because shadow and bone actually did that with uh one of the characters who i, I don't want to say I, actually I, I won't say what happened but they did that with one of their characters in season two because it was an actor who was like extremely busy and they were like, well, if we get another season of this where we would want this character around, we actually don't know if he will be available. So they did it in such a way where he can be in it or he can't be. And uh, and also just in terms of what you were saying regarding like Hollywood will pick up, like there will be a contract, right? Well, this they'll say, I'm going to make your book or your series into a movie or a show. And then they just let that contract run out. And actually one of my, probably my top series right now and, and has been for a while, Red Rising. I saw the, I saw the shirt out in the eyes. So I was like, I got to work this into the conversation somehow. But that the author actually like, basically he had had a contract and he was like, it's up very soon. And as soon as it's up, I'm going to shop around because I want to be able to do this the way I want to do it. The only problem with that being you're an author really stuck on your series or your book being made exactly the way you want to that's going to make it a lot harder to yep. <laughs> to get your thing made. Because yep. like you said, Hollywood has their ideals. <laughs> well, and like you said, they want to make their money. And that's about all they care about most On times. top of that, the fans can also be a problem too. Because mm. they have a very specific idea. And some of them don't understand that, you know, you can't fit a chunking book, you know, into... A two-hour movie you know something's gonna get cut even if a full season you're gonna cut something even lord of the rings cut out tom pom Bardil, you know kind of thing it particularly reminds me about jim butcher's dress and files the tv show that came out right people have to be willing to embrace the idea that you know what this might be different from the way i imagined it because you know and it's an alternate reality take on it but i think tv allows you to do things that are different from what you have in the books. You know, they have different strengths, but fans hate that. This is not at the back of my head ever since podcasting got started. I am a great fan of old, old-time radio drama. 
And the thing is, you can do anything cheaply in an audio format. And I'm not talking about audiobooks with a reader mm -hmm. doing fake voices. I am talking about, you know, full productions with characters and voices and special effects, all theater of the mind. Why hasn't this caught on yet? You know, if you listen to X minus one from the 40s and 50s, they adapted Brave New World, they adapted a whole bunch of Ray Bradbury, they adapted great, great stories. This can be done, and nobody seems to think that anybody wants anything that's just listening. It's got to be on the screen, everyone has to see it. Sandman, the audiobook, I don't know if anyone's listened to it, is more like a radio production mm -hmm. than anything yeah. else. So it does do well. Yeah. The, there are podcasts like that. Yeah, audiobooks are yeah. very popular. Um, mm -hmm. um, yeah. as, a, as a writer myself, I, yeah. that's one reason I got into them, because mm -hmm. honestly, audiobooks put me to sleep. Mm -hmm. but, <laughs> but I know friends of mine who they live by them. That's, that's how they consume, you know, and so I started doing it for the same reason. And podcasts are very popular too. But we're really in a, in, we're in a visual society now. Yeah. And, and people want to see things, you know, they, they want to see things more than they want to listen to it. And, and, that's, and that's the whole crux of streaming and everything else that's going on. Am I like remembering things incorrectly? Because I thought I saw like some actors signed on for doing podcasts like that, where it's like a serialized story. Am yeah, I yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, it's yeah. popular. I've seen some very um, in in a, in the process of us trying to develop things. One thing that we're getting into right now is an animation. So we're looking at ways to finance it. But we found out the most successful animated series that come that are coming from indie people like us are usually based on podcasts or something like that, that or web comics that were very popular. And then they just basically take their audience from there and say, okay, we're doing an animated series and people just go crazy because they've been following and they, they want to see those characters and stuff. There's an entire company that does that, actually, uh, Graphically Audio, and they do full plays and they bring in multiple voices and everything. Mm -hmm. However, I mean, I guess the question is how you define cheap. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's what um, I was going to say. You know, if you're producing it yourself, you're talking about at least a few thousand, if not more, per finished hour. So if it's a full Less book, a it's... <laughs> it, yeah, well, that's that's the thing. Is it's, For individuals, if you're independent publisher, whether or not you're talking thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000, which is not cheap as a person. For a big company, it is a lot cheaper. But I think talking about audiobooks in general, the market right now, when you go onto Audible, which is the main players, people buy based off how many finished hours there are, really. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is a 40, 40 hours. Great, I'll listen to this one rather than the 10 ones because everyone buys off credits. And they don't necessarily look at whether or not it's a full cast audio or not. And so it, there's less incentive to go that way. In terms of, like, yes, this is a visual society. And I also think a lot of the constantly evolving technology that allows us to view things that, I mean, 20, 30 years ago, we never thought we'd be able to see on screen and not be like, wow, that's terrible. I don't ever want to see that again. Um, but I, I do think audiobooks, again, are insanely popular. Like, I think, you know, since Audible has been around, um, and, and of course, they offer like the free credits to get you started and stuff. But I do know that there are, there are absolutely, I mean, again, I, I'm going to bring up Red Rising again, only because this is like the, the series that I've been covering in my podcast. So it's like just top of my head. But uh, one, one of my co-hosts is strictly audiobooks. And he has listen to the full novels yet but the sons of various graphic novels that are part of that world the audiobooks were like that like full productions um and they actually the first two books in the series have full audio productions with different actors for all the different characters and sound effects and i've heard they're absolutely amazing something like that like you said i'm not 
not an audiobook person. I have tried, but it's like I just zone out. I, I just I have to see the words on the page to remember things and and trying to listen to an audiobook even while driving. I'll be like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> how do I, like one word will stick out to me? It'll be, it'll be clams. It'll be fighting clams, and I won't know how we got there. Okay? <laughs> but yeah, like you know, like Ty was saying, the, the expense I think of producing these full production audios because the Star Wars novels, the the new ones, a lot of the audiobooks all the ones I've listened to, so maybe I'm a, I should assume all of them, they aren't full productions, but they have like sound effects and music in the background. It's not just somebody droning on reading. I mean, okay, that, that's probably wrong. It's not It's not an actor reading and, and, you know, doing voices and stuff. Like you said, there is some extra stuff in there. But for the really full ones with different actors, the cost, I think, for the return, somebody needs to show them that the cost for the return is worth worthwhile because yeah. the other thing is they are expensive when you buy even just an audiobook is expensive but when you're buying the audio drama ones I, I don't know how much the red rising ones are but they're I, like 40 or 50 bucks maybe and i mean a lot of people aren't going to pay that for a full audio drama when they can get the cheaper audiobook and also like yeah i think the cost for return thing is the biggest issue right now do, um, do they ever consider doing maybe s smaller stories like for example, Hateful Eight by Quentin Tarantino, most of that was shot in like a cabin. Um, maybe if they, I don't know, didn't focus on doing giant large projects like Lord of the that would kind of be like a series at Netflix or somebody like but that. I think they have that, right? Isn't there like Love and Robots or something? Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, robots yeah. like that, you know. And even animation, because um, like we're doing an animation project right now, just kind of give you the reality of that. A standard 2D animation project costs you $10,000 a minute. Whoa. For one minute. Yeah. And I remember one time, just out of, out for the hell of it, um, there's one company called, they're called Blur. And Blur does a lot of the C, um, CGI stuff for some of your major companies and stuff. So when I was re researching animation, just out of the hell of it, I just sent them a letter. I said, hey, what, what do you guys charge for a minute? Ha, ha, ha. And they actually got back in contact with me. <laughs> and they sent me this real letter. And they said, well, our calls start at $300,000 a minute. Ooh. <laughs> I can't even afford to pay somebody to edit my podcast. Like. <laughs> so the costs are tremendous in this. I mean, we did our project just because of the fact that we had a group of a team of people who just wanted to get something done and everybody got paid, but we actually got more work out of what we paid for because people were just really excited about the project. And now that we're moving forward, we want to make sure that people get paid realistically, but these are people just trying to get paid regular payments per hour you're not asking for out of the way stuff you know it's just them trying to make a regular pay or you know a regular nine to five job and it just in, in the hours that they put into it it just adds up to that i think part of the problem with adapting like you know single room or single location uh work is not many of us as writers unless we're writing short stories we don't think about you know just keeping it within one thing because we don't have to i can drop someone off in the middle of a continent somewhere else you know <laughs> with one line so i think that's part of the problem as well because a lot of these expansive works aren't necessarily i think the small stake stuff that legends and lattes is coming out with you know the cozy fantasies those are much tighter so i think yeah. you might see a lot more of those that's the same reason why romance gets picked up so much more and mm -hmm. adapted more because they are smaller in context as well i feel like that's less adaptable just because it's not as like exciting you know yeah <laughs> so people aren't going to be like really stoked about that's true yeah
I, I do love the term cozy fantasies. Yes. Um, I don't know if that's something that I've just been missing all these oh, no, years. It's, 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 it's a newer thing. Okay, I was like, wow, I've never heard that. That's so cute and I love it. <laughs> to your point, I think that, well, with Legends and Lattes, that's that's kind of its own set-aside thing. But you you mentioned uh, Love, and, Love and Robots. That's what it's called. It's just, I want to keep wanting to say it's not I Love, 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 death, love, and love death and Robots. Robots. Thank you, thank you. And I've, I've watched those, like, I've watched many of those episodes, like, numerous times. I love, I love that show. But that was, I think, a huge chance that Netflix took with that. Like, they knew what they had was good, I'm sure, but were people would people actually watch it? And obviously some of the episodes are better than others, but um, it's an anthology series where none of them are really related at all to each other. But I also think that I, I mean I would love to see, like you said, that the hateful eight was when you mentioned like get a bunch of like western themed stories together. I mean that's what, uh, what was it the Le- Bus- Buster Scruggs? Uh, yeah, that's kind of Scruggs. yeah yeah that, that was, very, yeah, that, that was like they weren't series. really related <laughs> to each other, but they were all like westerns, and that was like super popular. So mm-hmm. it can be done. It's probably just a matter of somebody bringing Netflix or Amazon or who like bringing a studio the idea that hey we can attach all of these in an anthology and people will love it uh remember how popular love death and robots and the ballad of buster scruggs were um and i think if there were more there were more examples like those that you could like tick off real fast that were actually insanely like mainstream level popular then it would probably be a lot easier to get those like short you know, short stories if you want to call them that made Earlier you guys said studio executive looks like to put their thumb thumbprints on, on their projects. I'm sure we've all read books like the world building is brilliant and the story is like meh. Is there properties that you'd like to see made into it where they just play in the sandbox but don't follow the original material? Not the Jon Snow show. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't want it. <laughs> what about you guys? Uh, any, any, anything you can think of where you would love to see them adapt something from a world, but not necessarily follow the story of the of the book or books? It's like everything I can think of is something where I really enjoyed both. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, but like, I, I could go for spinoffs, right? Yeah. Yeah. In some cases, in, in a lot of cases, me too, but not the Jon Snow one. <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> I'm going to watch it, but... <laughs> Again, I'm I'm going back to Imaro, and I hope you guys. I hate talking about it in a way because because of the fact that the author is no longer with us and the books aren't in print, they're very hard to find now. And then when you do find them, they're kind of expensive. But Charles did a very good job. He's one of the first people to basically take an African setting and adapt it into a fantasy type of application. In this case, sword and sword and sorcery. And the way he did it, you'll enjoy it just if you just came and just started reading it. But the more you know about that part of the world and that history, you get even more into it because you see, it's almost like reading in a way, um, I want to compare it to Conan in a way, because if you do your history and your research, you find that a lot of places that Robert E. Howard made references to were places that actually existed, existed in Europe, like the Sumerians and the Aquilonians were actually tribes and stuff that existed in Europe during the Dark Age. And Charles kind of does, kind of does the same thing with his African setting. He actually did that at one point. He actually took a tangent and actually wrote different stories in his world that didn't include tomorrow to flesh it out more and stuff. And that's what makes it. And plus, he was just a just a damn good writer. And just to read his prose and just to see the way that he described his world is something that will. That's why I hope. Well, in a way, I hope that they end up releasing this adaptation, but in a better form, because I had the privilege to read one of the first scripts. 
And I know that anybody who followed the series, followed the series if they saw that first script, they'd be mad as hell. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the guy that I know that's pushing is actually taking it away from those people. And he's kind of doing what somebody else here was talking about, uh, like the author went to work on it themselves. They're doing the same thing because the people that are backing him, they're like, I know you're not getting this stuff the way that you want to see it. And we're not even getting the way that we want to see it. So they're trying to find someone that's going to produce it more true to form so we can really tell that story authentically and stuff. But I, I would love to see that world and see other stories in that world so I could learn more about that world. I think maybe like some video game worlds. Like I'd love to see like a Mass Effect series. That would be super fun. <laughs> Red Dead Redemption here. <laughs> Does Charles Delint has written a whole bunch of stories set in his Canadian uh, city? I can't remember the name of it right now because my brain's not working. But Hmm? Ah, yes, yeah. and he writes about these characters and they're all just different and almost every book is about different people. They're all interrelated. Um, and I love the characters, but I think that would be a series that you could take the general idea and the feel of it and the humanity that he brings to the characters and not necessarily have to follow the same characters because of the way he's written the universe. Gail Carriger's Protectorate series. I don't know if anyone loves that, but my Jane Austen loving soul wants to see vampires, but in period dress. I just want the costume. <laughs> What's the yes. name of that again? Gail Z. Carriger with a C. Carriger, C-A-R-R-I-N-G-E-R. And it's the Parasol Protectorate. Okay. It is so good. It's super fun, yeah. I love this panel just for like the number of book series I'm, I'm going to have to add to my list once ever. I'm sorry, this is going to put you on the spot. So we've been talking about straight adaptations of things. What about, for example, parody musicals? <laughs> is, there, is there a market for lovingly adapted but aware of the flaws in the series productions that just sort of, you know, go about telling the story in their own way but funny and with music? The high fantasy Mike ghost strike again. I don't know. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, I'm sorry. The high fantasy Mike ghost strike again. I don't know if any of you watched Strange New Worlds. They did like a musical yep. episode. I loved it. It was ridiculous, but it was so, so fun. I feel like there's a lot of things that you could adapt that way that would be really interesting. Gallivant. I love oh, it. Yes, that was amazing. <laughs> I, I really wish it. I want more seasons. Yeah. Um, I want to see a Murderbot um, oh. adaptation like that. Oh, man. <laughs> Fellowship, the musical. There's enough singing in that book. Seth said he was putting me on the spot because I actually, uh, at Ice and Firecon, for how many years in a row? Like, well, if you don't if you don't count the years we had to skip because of the obvious reasons, um, so for for two years and then we had two years off and then two uh, two more years we had two separate parody musicals that we put on. Oh. So one was Westeros, an American musical, which was a Hamilton, Song of Ice and Fire, Game of Thrones mashup, and the other one was Queens, which is a six the musical and oh. uh, Song of Ice and Fire, Game of Thrones mashup, and we also have done several other like. I don't think all of them are available yet. I don't really know what I don't really know what time, but uh, there was the Book of Frey, which was uh, the the main <laughs> song from Book of Mormon, but with Frey's. 
Uh, I don't know if that's available online yet, though. And then there was, this year, yeah. uh, I did very minimal writing and Seth did most of it. Um, it was a uh, family yeah, magical, but House Targaryen. So it was just that that opening song from Encanto, but with Targaryens instead of magicals. And then, oh, there's a very old, terribly, it, like, it, it's available online, but the recording is terrible. But um, you're welcome. And it was Benioff. It was myself and my uh, significant other at the time dressed as David Benioff and D.B. Weiss. Did I say that? Or is it David Weiss? No, whatever. Whatever. Benioff and Weiss. We were dressed as Benioff and Weiss singing You're Welcome for Game of Thrones. Like the Moana song, You're Welcome. So is there a market for those? I mean, online, absolutely. I mean, and also, gosh, how many, even before we did any of these, most of the parody stuff that I've seen, like parody musical stuff that I've seen online, they take, you know, a lot of times people take clips from the show and like set it to basic music. So, I mean, listen, anything, anything that's meme worthy, people are gonna attach themselves to these days as far as I can tell, so. I'd like to see a serious musical. I'd like to see one from Lord of the Rings. I'd like to see mm. Golem. <laughs> by himself with a spotlight on him just uh, singing about his you know? <laughs> I mean people in the audience crying because he's singing about his, the tragic circumstances of his life and stuff. Tom Bombadil the musical <laughs> you guys it writes itself I mean the lyrics are already there you just exactly <laughs> my precious <laughs> production that did just that. Huge scale, uh, Lord of the Rings, they actually tried to create elvish and orcish music. <laughs> yeah, the recording exists. I thought it was kind of boring. <laughs> I never saw the show on stage. It was an enormous hit, um, but it, did, it, never it never crossed the Atlantic. There is a Death Note musical out there, and I've actually listened to some of the songs, and it's actually good. Yeah. All right. The anime? Yes. Yeah, the anime. I want to just talk about that real quick. Go on YouTube and look for Russian Dragonlance musical. You will not be disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Russian Apparently Dragonlance is huge in Russia and they've made operas out of it. Completely unsanctioned, not licensed or anything like that. Go on YouTube and you can find like Raceland singing in Russian like a Klingon opera. It is wow. fantastic. I promise you will not be disappointed. The internet has given us so many things. <laughs> now, I was just thinking about, we've been talking about series, and I'm just thinking about, I think series tend to be more talked about with regard to adaptations, and just people talk about series, maybe they, maybe they have more name recognition. But here I am thinking, I want to see Circe. I want to see a movie adaptation of Circe by Madeline Miller. And, I'd watch that. And The Witch's Heart by Genevieve Gordichek. And The Adventures of Amina al Safari by um, Shen Chakrabuti. I don't know that I got that right. But, uh, but you know, these, these are stories, I think there are more standalones that tend to showcase female characters. I mean, it's not that you don't have series. I mean, some of them are out there. A, a lot of them are categorized as YA, but that's mm. another issue. Mm -hmm. But um, the main issue I have is that so many of the stories that have the big name recognition, they are the old school, very white guy adaptation, and the white guy originals. 
And when they adapt these and they try to make them, quote, accessible to a modern audience or more friendly to a modern audience, that's when people howl and complain about how, no, Galadriel doesn't do this. No, no, a woman can't be the dragon reborn, you know, all this stuff. So it's like, try to find things to adapt that are already friendly to modern sensibilities instead of going back to the old school stuff and trying to change it so it will be more in line with the 2020s. Adapt newer things. Alan just doing Earthsea right for a change. That goes back to the idea of, like you said, name recognition and Hollywood's like Lord of the Rings. Everybody loves Lord of the Rings, so obviously like we can adapt this. And of course, yes, there's the... There's always going to be detractors for one reason or another, but the, yes, the pushback, particularly from these, I mean, shoot, this is not fantasy at all, but the Star Trek fandom and their pushback against particularly Discovery, like the, you know, the older sect of Star Trek fandom and their pushback against Discovery and even to an extent Lower Decks. They want Star Trek as they knew Star Trek and any, any like twists or, or whatever that are added in to make it more palatable to a younger modern audience, they're against that. Obviously, you know, hashtag not all Star Trek fans and hashtag not all Tolkien fans, but it is, it is a problem. Yeah, but you worst... make a good point there because uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, no. I, I was just going to say, I think one of the worst of fandoms is unfortunately Star Wars. Yeah, I, I made the mistake of making a Star Wars tweet once. and Oh, God. Oh, yeah, don't do that. The thing about it, like we talk again about Hollywood, um, last, about five or six years ago, there were a lot of uh, stories like you described that were picked up by different production things, but then they're caught in production hell, like uh, Tony Anna Yeme, Children of Blood and Bone. She actually had a movie deal before she had a novel deal. I think she had pitches like Game of Thrones meets Black Panther or something like that. And the book did very well. It was George Lucas production company that picked it up. And we've been sitting and waiting four or five years for them to do something. Then all of a sudden we found out like last year, they dropped it and Paramount picked it up. And they said, we're gonna bring Tony Anna Emmy in and we're gonna have her write the screenplay. So now we're starting to cycle all over again. <laughs> and it seems like, you know, there, um, there was a time when people were trying to be more diverse with, with IPs like that. But it's like, almost like they're not really behind it. It's more like they're saying, look what we're doing. And then when it gets into the grind and, and really producing it, mm -hmm. it hasn't happened. And I know, like I said, there's um, N.K. Jemison. Yeah, Brooke, um, I was going to say, Nettie, Brooke and Ernst. Nettie Okorafor. All these people. Know, like, Nettie Okorafor is still going on. Though. Yeah, like, all these people have had this stuff picked up. But it's like she was, uh, she was at Dragon Con last year and she was complaining about that. She was mm -hmm. like, because she had George R.R. Martin behind her project. Mm -hmm. and, and she's like, why isn't what I wrote enough? Because people, and it's because of all these different changes and all these grinds and stuff like that. And at some point you start to get concerned because Hollywood is very trendy. And it's almost like, okay, we started this project five years ago. Do people still want to see this? That's what they start asking themselves. Do we still, is it still enough interest for us to put the money into this project to make it happen? I only know one person, and it's not fantasy, it's a, it's a guy named uh, Victor Lavelle. And he wrote a story called Changeling. And it got picked up in 2017. And it's finally actually coming out as a movie this year. And he's the only person that I know of in that in that group of people of black creators that got picked up that actually is seeing their stuff make it to the screen and stuff. You know? And it so took six years. Or yeah, and it's just that grind. It's it's amazing. I think a big part of adapting books into movies and shows is it's really hard to adapt the inner monologues of characters into mm -hmm. shows because you can't just have it go like the inner monologue and they're not saying anything. What do you think the best way to do that is? 
like what or what's like some really good examples of like cutting out or adapting inner monologue into movies or shows? You can just do it like Doom. <laughs> the first Doom. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> My name is Kelly. You can change it to conversation between characters. Just bring it up. Add, you could add new scenes where you can actually show the conflict mm -hmm. uh, in relation to people. That's one of the things. There's also subtle things that actors can do to show things, right? You know, if someone's angry but trying to suppress it, they can physically pull back, you know, show their movements and whatnot. I adapted one of my works into a comic and it was interesting playing with that because you could just go, three pages of text, all gone. <laughs> yeah, I know that uh, I haven't actually read The Witcher books, but I hear like there's a lot more inner monologue and I've heard people say that it's really different, so. I haven't read the Richard books either, but I've actually heard most of what I've heard is people actually think that Henry Cavill does like such a great job with just like being the character that they don't necessarily miss the, the diatribes. Hey guys, do not forget about the Dragon Con charity. Make sure you make our donations. And also, uh, if you like this panel, you can rate us in the app. If you didn't like this panel, that doesn't exist for you. <laughs> I'm kidding, mostly. Uh, otherwise, everybody have a great Dragon Con and hope to see you at some more High Fantasy panel. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening to the Geek Saga podcast. If you like what you heard, please check out other Geek Saga entertainment endeavors, including the Sagas and Sass webcast and podcast and Ice and Fire Con.